Tonight we're going to minister on what we've been talking about on Wednesday night. Talk yourself into the life you love. Talk yourself into the life you love. I'm going to talk myself into the life I love. Amen. All right, there, there it is. I can go forward. Turn in your Bible with me, if you would, to the book of 1 Thessalonians. Now I want to remind you of some things. I want to exhort you. The Word says that we're to exhort one another to love and good works. We're to exhort one another to love and good works. Yeah. Well, that word love there is not that slobbery kind where, where you, you know, like your, your, your kids or your, your wife or husband or something, although it's in there. But that's the kind of love where, where there's power released. And I, on the way in this evening... I told Debran, I said, do you know how uncommon we are tonight? Virtually rare that we would be going to Wednesday night service in America. I know very few people that have Wednesday night service all the time anyway. It doesn't really matter if it's all the time or part of the time. There's very few of us. And uh, you might say, well, what is the virtue of Wednesday night church? Well, you have to go back to the purpose of all of this. Are y'all born again? Of course you are. Are you spirit-filled? Absolutely. Are you healed, whole, and healthy? On that. Full, supplied, and wealthy? All over us. So why do we have to come to church? Well, are we just lonesome? Well, you could go see your neighbor. They're just across the lawn, and you could see them, and they'd be glad to see you probably. But why we come to church, why we come together, is to be strong. We got everything else. We don't need anything as far as... Uh, uh, the covenant things of heaven, we, we got that. We come to be strong. It's uncommon for a people to strive for strength in the times of affluence. We're in a, in a, a nation. It's becoming more difficult and challenging uh, with our political scene and with the, the forces of darkness that are obviously working through the political scene. But we've come to get strong. So when you sit down in your chair or when you're on your couch at home or wherever you are, you need to know that what we're doing tonight has very much purpose. It's very purposeful. We are here to gather up strength. I know people that, that eat certain foods so they'll be healthy and strong. <laughs> no, it's not me. Hallelujah. Uh, but there are a lot of people that work out. They go to the gym or they have a machine at home that uh, they're making payments on or whatever. And the whole purpose of that is to be strong, to be able to do something in another day that they can't do this day, or to be able to do it better. And so we're here to be strong, and we're here also to provoke one another to love and good works. To provoke, that's a pretty strong word, provoke. Not just, hey, how you doing, been missing it, you thinking of you, and you know, what's, how are the kids doing, how's your grass growing, is your paint still on, all that. We're here to provoke one another's. And the way we do that is by the Word, God's Word, and then our Word. We, the gifts of the Spirit are literally an interpretation and an application of the Holy Ghost and the Word. We're just parlaying it in another form, but that's what God would do. If Jesus were here, that's what He'd do. He'd be calling out the gold in all of us. He would. He'd be exhorting us to love and good works. He wouldn't be saying, hey, diddle, diddle, the cat and the fiddle. He'd, he'd, be, he'd be burning the word in us so that our hearts would burn. Well, that's what we're doing here at River Church. Sometimes it, you know, we slip off into fellowship or things that aren't even that, but still, we're provoking one another to love and good works. We're bonding together, 
not on purpose, not because we say, well, that's a real interesting person. We've just said whoever God you, you pick. It's kind of like an arranged marriage. Church is like an arranged marriage. You, don't, you meet them on one day and say, hello, I'm your husband, or hello, I'm your wife. And uh, when you go to church where the Lord sends you, you introduce yourself and say, you're my brother, you're my sister in the same local church. And uh, I don't think we'd do much better if we picked out our own church. Uh, I see lots of people that do, apparently, and they're not too happy with it. So look in 1 Thessalonians. Let's look in chapter 3. Here's, we're, we're going that other way, but let me get these in here. The Lord usually gives me something that's off subject to provoke us to love and good works. And in verse 10, it says night and day. So we could go back to verse 9. For what thanks can we render to God again for you? For all the joy wherein we, wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God. And then he explains it in verse 10. He says, night and day, praying exceedingly. Praying exceedingly. You, you think Paul was overemphasizing that word, exceedingly? Praying, probably when he prayed, it would be exceeding more than everybody is north, used to. It'd be good stuff. But he said, I'm, I'm in it. I'm over the top. Night and day. Night and day. All, that's kind of like all the time. Night and day praying exceedingly that why? That we might see your face. So we're all precious to one another. Everybody wants to see Jesus and, you know, be with him. And I do too. But really, he said, what I'm praying night and day for is not to go see Jesus. I've come to prayer to that I might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. That's why we're here tonight. That's why we'll come back Sunday. That's why we'll come back Monday for prayer is because we are, are uh, seeking one another that we might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. The Lord told me when I moved to Alabama and went into uh, a church in Birmingham, Word of Life, and uh, had a real strong faith pastor, real strong, still strong. And he, he told me, he said, I've sent you here to perfect, perfect that which is lacking in your faith. And I was on faith. I was in the vein. I was already following after it. I was already in for it. But I found out I needed lots of perfecting. Y'all ever had that feeling? You know, when you get into a situation, you got to cast the devil out or you got to lay hands on somebody and you don't know what to say or you don't know which way it's going or what you should do. You say, you know, when we get through with this, I'm going to ask the Lord to send somebody to me, a book or a tape or whatever, and perfect that which is lacking in my faith. Because Jesus wouldn't have been here fumbling and bumbling. He would have got the job done, and I am his representative. I ought to do what he does. So that's why we're here. It says in verse uh, 10 in the, uh, the uh, TEV. Ah, today's English. Thank you all so much. We ask him with all our heart to let us see you personally, personally and supply what is needed in your faith. The contemporary says, and help you to have an even stronger faith. That's why we're here, because all of us have Bibles at home. Uh, the BBE, the Bible basic, uh, basic Bible, the BBE says that we may see your face and make your faith complete. See your face and make your faith complete. I want my faith complete. I want to be perfected in that which is lacking in my faith. We all get slants. We all get things where we're either puffed up and say, I got that, I don't need any more. Or we're just desperate in some area that we don't know hardly anything. And so we tend to steer around it and say, well, you know, that's not where I'm, 
that's not where I'm at. I, you know, uh, I'll just admit it on broadcast that prayer has never been my strong suit, but I've been around it a long time, and it was strong and healthy and good and everything, but it never has been my strong suit. And so the Lord's having to perfect that which is lacking in my faith concerning prayer. I'm talking about public prayer. I'm not talking about do I know how to pray. I, yeah, I got that. So we're all having to face up and say, what, what of it? So what we do is we preach messages, we teach messages here that make us stronger, that perfect that which is lacking in our faith. It's a scatter gun. It's a shotgun. It's not a, you know, a bullet that just goes to one place. It just hits everybody. And sometimes you go, that wasn't much. I already got that. Well, yay. We can still be strengthened. But sometimes it hits you between the eyes and you go, you know, I didn't have any idea about that. And it's the Lord. It's the Lord. It's the Lord perfecting that which is lacking in our faith, making us stronger. And I want to be stronger. I want to be able to face the devil. And we've all faced him in many manifestations, in many, even in people. We've faced him. It's like, you are, you are the devil. <laughs> what does it say? Devil with the... Red dress on. Hallelujah. <laughs> uh, i got to get back on track here. Hallelujah. But we've all faced him, and sometimes we were okay with it. We had a confidence when we ended that little confrontation, but sometimes we knew we'd been whooped. We knew we'd been sent home, and uh, we, we better go home and fix what was lacking in our faith. So I have a question for you. I always do. What if you could have, listen, listen, what if you could have whatever you say? Now, we know that's uh, interesting because we come from the old uh, uh, movie days where people were rubbing a, Aladdin's lamp with three wishes, and it was the most treasured thing. Everybody's like, if I had three wishes, you know, wouldn't that be a great day? Well, what if you could have what you say today? No, no lamp, no magic, no demons, no, none of that stuff. You could straight up before God, be approved of God and say, Lord, I'm going to have what I say. He said, I've already done that for you. We already got that thing nailed. Uh, what if you could have, here's what I thought of, a remote controlled life. Everybody likes remote controlled stuff. You're over here and you controlled it over there and there's no wires. What if you could have a remote controlled life where you just controlled your finances before they ever got to you? What if you could control, remote control favor and just say, when I go into this bank or when I go into this business or when I go into this group that I'm speaking to or listening to, I'm remote controlling this. In the name of Jesus, I say what's going to happen and I say how it'll be for me and I'll, I say how it's going to come out. Wouldn't it be cool to have a remote control life, to have what you say? What if you and I could order up just like a menu, they give you the menu, and you say, man, I am ready for this menu. This is my favorite restaurant, and they've got something here that I like so much. I'm going to order up the perfect lunch or dinner. You go, that's a great day. And then if you can find somebody to pay for it, <laughs> you're like, oh, what a, great, what a great thing. Hallelujah. Well, what if you could order up the perfect life? What if you could say my Thursday tomorrow is going to be perfect? No surprises, no ambushes, no, no uh, laying in wait to get me, uh, no slips, no accidents, no nothing. I dominate tomorrow. I have a remote control life. I have what I say. 
Now, this sounds almost like Andrew Womack says, almost too good to be true. But it's absolutely the truth. Now, why wouldn't we, who spend all of our time working and maintaining, planning ahead with insurance and, and uh, savings and all the things that people do to, to work on their future, you know, exercise and eat well, that's all for future. You can eat bonbons all day long on the couch, and it won't affect you that day. It's what happens next month that's going to show up. So we're very future-oriented. We're not just living in this day. Some days we do, but not, not usually. We live in the future. Why, why don't we put the things of God into the future and, ha- and take His guarantee that you can have a remote-controlled life? You can have what you say. Now, wouldn't that be beyond? Wouldn't, wouldn't Christians say, denominational Christians maybe, say, you are wacko, you are crazy, you are off the charts. Nobody would believe that. Well, it's true, hardly anybody does, including, obviously, us at times. What an indictment, what a thing. Well, we're just going to provoke one another to love good works. We're just going to say, giddy up, if we're not doing that, if that's something that we're short in, we're going to load up and do better. Because I want a future that's less, less uh, uh, pressure, less, uh, you know, just better. Everybody wants a better future, however you want to say that. And this is how you do it. I'm telling y'all that we can talk ourselves into the life we love. Well, I know it's true because I've already talked myself into a pretty good one. You go, I, I've still got troubles. Oh, you should have seen the troubles you were talking about before you start talking about the answer and how you were laying yourself. Well, tomorrow will be terrible. I probably won't get a stimulus. I'll probably, you know, all the things that people say. We stopped all that. Y'all did stop all that, didn't you? <laughs> but now we, now we can take another step. When you graduate out of seventh grade, they give you an opportunity to go to the eighth grade. I'm taking it. I'm going to the eighth grade. Amen. In John 10, 10, it says, if I, have come, I have come that they might have life. The Lord Jesus, I have come, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. There's those superlative words that he didn't just say, I've come that you might have my life. Well, that's so over the top, we can't even put our head around it. But he said, I've come that you might have what he said in the Amplified, abundance to the full till it overflows. Now, if you're not having that, if that's not obvious and edifice, evident, if it's not manifested, then we need to pay attention. There's more to learn. Sometimes you don't know how the book ends when you're in the third chapter. It's like, keep reading. I want to see how this turns out. Well, we should, we should see what abundant to the full till it overflows looks like. You ought to take a testimony to heaven. You ought to have one here that says, I've tasted the word. I've tasted the good things of God. And this is what it looks like. And no more good enough. No more being better than other Christians. Having a, you know, I have a confession that means, you know, I'm not going to die. I'm going to live and not die. Well, we got that one down, but uh, let's have one that's even better. The uh, easy read said, uh, I have come that you might have life that is full and good. Are y'all having a better life than ever? 
We're on, we're on top of it. So we're not saying y'all are in the, in the ditch. But this right here, this I have come that you might have life, is a legal term. It's a term that we call uh, uh, opportunity. It's not a guarantee. Now, it's a guarantee what he did, but it's not a guarantee that we'll have what he did. It's a legal, uh, what, what is that term I'm looking for? It's available. It's a provision. He said, if you will sign up for this, this is what I'm offering. Well, what do we got to do to get that? Well, you got to get born again. And then after you get born again, you just got to walk by faith. You got you to believe you receive when you pray. It's not automatic. You don't just sign up and say, well, I'm a Christian. I won't be sick anymore. I'm a Christian. I, will, I won't have any accidents or bills that come in. No, it, in the world, you'll have tribulation. So we should be of good cheer because he's overcome that. But this is a legal opportunity. So we enter into it by faith. I take him up on his legal offer. He, he puts the pa- he's like a lawyer, puts the paper across there, and he said, I've signed my name. Now, Mr. Billings, would you sign yours? It means you're going you're gonna to make me the Lord of your life and that you're going you're gonna to do things according to the word, by faith, by grace, and I guarantee you, you're going to have an overflowing life. Will you sign up? I'm in. He didn't ask me to do what I couldn't do or to sacrifice or not be with my children anymore. Or, you know, all that crazy stuff that other people think that that means. He just said, let's just walk this out together. If you'll walk with me, in the light as I'm in the light, you'll have what you wish. You'll have what you desire. So in Proverbs 18, 21, it says, what does it say? Death and life, finish it with me, are in the power of the tongue. Let's say it together. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. In another place, in Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, he said, I have set before you life and death. So it's in line with that thing in Proverbs. I have set before you life and death. So you can see that it's an offer. It's an offer. He's saying, I didn't just say death couldn't touch you. I'm offering you. I've set before you. There's a choice here for you, and I'm good for it. Whichever way you decide, I'm good. He's making us an offer. He goes on and says, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. Why, Lord? that both you and your seed, thy seed, may live. I want to live. I'm not talking about breathing only. I want to live. Because lots of people have ragged lives, ragged, pressure-filled, jump-off-the-bridge lives. Where's the gun? It's so sad when someone loses their hope. The New Living Translation says, Oh, I like this one. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. Oh, that you would choose life. Michael, choose life. Michael, choose life. Every day. There's another path to go, but Michael, choose life. Oh, that I would choose life. I want to choose life. The reason I'm having to choose it now is because I didn't choose it then. Every trouble I've got today is because I didn't fix it before. I stumbled into things or I didn't ride up over them. Either ignorance. I've been ignorant a long time. How about you? Ignorant just means you didn't know. Just didn't know. They were telling you it's this way and it wasn't that way. And so I fell into traps, potholes, the ditch, all that sort of stuff. And so now I'm having to choose life because I didn't or couldn't choose life back then. But now there's a path out. 
He told me a long time ago, he says, I'm going to catch you up. And I've held him to it, and he's caught me up. I believe he's caught you up too. So I am talking myself into the life I love. That means I have to believe that I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. I have to believe that that's potential, that it's in front of me, that there's a door that opens up somewhere ahead, that it's the abundant life, a life that overflows. I'm walking down the hall. I'm trying every door. All of them, riches and fame and, and all, all that, all of them are locked. They, none of them can say abundant life. They'll just say a different life. But there's a door, and Jesus is the door that we say, I'm putting on the life of God. Uh, John 3.16 doesn't, doesn't mean what they say it means. It, it's mistranslated. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should have everlasting life. That's not what it means, not the everlasting life part. That implies eternal life. But that's not what it means, too, because we're spirit, and we're all going to live or exist in some eternity mode. Y'all say amen when you get it. Amen. What that means, literally, is that you not have everlasting life, but you have the life of the eternal. So there's not just longevity. We're all going to just live forever with God. No, I'm going to have the life of the eternal today. So eternal life, life of the eternal, begins at the new birth. But you'll hear it interpreted. Well, that just means that when you die, you'll go somewhere and just try to make it till then. Well, I'm not trying to make it any time. I got to have him now. Lord Jesus, I need you. I got to have you now. So we say, I say, you say, our words are our whole life. Let's first person that. My words are my whole life. Again, my words are my whole life. So I have no life apart from my words. Now, you got to believe the Bible to, to say that and believe that. But, you know, I have no life apart from my words. Careless words, coarse words, joking words, uh, uh, lazy words, barren words, empty words, idle words. All those words are words that have import, that have influence in your life. And so... They're all mixed in. You don't want any cauliflower in with your chocolate chip cookies? Don't put it in. Because <laughs> if you put it in, there's green things on the top of your cookies. Or cauliflower, they're not green. Oh, you'll never even notice it then. But the point is, is we all want to judge our life by what we say that's right. I believe I receive. I confess. I lay hold. But then during the day, during the week, many times we just say, I could laugh till I died. I almost froze to death. And you go, well, that doesn't mean anything because I didn't mean it. Well, it, it doesn't mean anything until you do mean it and you get weak. Those things make you weak the same way that when you say, by his stripes I'm healed, makes you strong. By his stripes I am healed doesn't make you healed. It's believing that you're strong that makes you healed. But that's a strengthener. That's, you put that in to, to shore things up that says, I feel like the devil. I feel terrible. I feel like hell. I feel like whatever you feel like. Have y'all ever felt like hell? It felt like hell? Never mind. We'll have to exit this part out of the services it is. Hallelujah. So turn with me to Luke 6. Luke chapter 6. Y'all hang in there with me. I'm almost through. <laughs> almost being a relative term. <laughs> uh, we're here to get strong. We're not here to do our Wednesday obligation. So many people go to church to fulfill their 
Sunday obligation. Whatsoever, verse 47, whatso, whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings. Now, here, this is red letter. This is the Lord Jesus. Whosoever cometh to me, so it's not enough just to come to him, and heareth my sayings. Okay, I heard them. Oh, here's more. And doeth them. So you've got to come, you've got to hear, you've got to do. Well, what happens? He said, I will show you. Uh, he's like a man which built a house, dig deep, laid the foundation on a rock, strong. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not. Didn't say did not. It says it could not shake it, for it was founded on a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not. Well, there's something. You go, well, I do everything that I, I, I hear and I, I believe and I do. No, we're going to look and see that the, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So you can say stuff out of your head, but it doesn't change diddly. It doesn't change squat if it didn't come out of here. This is where the power is. This is just a prototype up here. It's just, a, it's just the, the uh, what's that night before the real play goes up? It's the... Dress rehearsal, there it is. We're working on this up here, but we're trying to float it down in here where it takes root and becomes on a rock. He that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built on a house upon the earth, the sand is what it says, against which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So he, he says, come to me. He said, hear my sayings, and the implication is there, Hear them to the point of saying. It doesn't mean literally just sit down and hear one, one little speech, one little message. You go do them because you believe them. And that's all that'll last anyway. We'll all go for the weekend, but we got plans next the weekend after that. Our faith just goes so far until it can go all the way. Is that right? So our whole world, now here's a big broad statement, our whole world is constructed by the words I hear, speak, and do. And I have no world that is not constructed by words. I have no world. Everything, nothing's exempt, nothing's outside the line, nothing's outside the box. Everything in my life, sickness, lack, concern, uh, disfavor, all that stuff, it's the devil. It's that everybody knows it's the devil and mean people. It's Democrats. It's Republicans. It's, it's, it's mean landlord. It's bad school system. It's the corona. That's what it all is. And as long as you believe that, you're going to continue to have it. But no, it's, it's not that. It's the words that I hear, I believe, and I do. So i got to change some of my believing because I don't like everything in my life that's happened to me the last 40 or 50 years. I don't know how y'all are doing, but I got some, I got some hiccups. I got, you, you follow my tracks, and you'll find that it's in the ditch a couple of times before it, it got up. So everyone lives within the boundaries of their words. Not God's words, but my words. Everyone lives within the boundaries of their words. No exemptions. Well, I, I, I was born rich, or I'm, I was born handsome, or I was born eloquent. No. You may, you may get out of there with your personality and certain worldly traits, but your words will bring you back to who you really are. And there's no exemption. Rich people jump off of bridges too. 
Now, let me tell you this. This is so amazing. I remember this, uh, and I went and looked it up. The Reader's Digest, 1991. Would that be a long time ago? Yeah. But uh, had an article called The Patient Knows Best. And it was a remarkable predictor who, of who will live or die and when they would live or die. Now stop me if you've heard this. They surveyed 2,800 men and women and they asked them one question. Here's the question. Rate your health. Write down your health. One, two, or three. Poor, good, or excellent. And there's a bunch of them that wrote down, you know, it's poor. Some of them wrote down excellent, and the rest of them just put down good. And, um, but they had each person that took the survey do an examination. A physical, as it were. I don't think it was a physical, but it was an examination. And they, they found in their own survey, they lumped together a group of people that were either rated poor, good, or excellent, but that were all the same. Even though they said, I'm poor, even though they said, I'm excellent, they found out what they really were. And so they put them all in a group together. But the people, so they were all the same. They were homogenous. But the people that rated themselves poor died four years earlier than those that rated themselves excellent. So they did another survey, and I, re- I found this one. It was corroborated by Rutgers, and they, sa- they f- surveyed 23,000 people. Now, that's a pretty good-sized sample, and they had the exact same result. So apparently, what you think about yourself, your self-image affects you. Because what we say is what we see is what we say. We hear words and performs an image. We talked about this. If you hear a dog, you see something. If you hear black dog, you see something. If you hear spotty dog, you see something. If you see your dog, you see something. We see it, and it forms an image in us. And then out of that image, we convert the. We don't converse to each other by images. We retranslate it and, and send it out by words. We tell someone what we saw. I saw your dog. It had lots of spots on it. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Is it different than that? Is it different than that? It is not different than what the Word says it is. So the conclusion is that senses, our senses, the the five senses, there's touch, there's seeing, there's hearing, there's taste, and there's feeling. Did I get them? Smell. Ah, there's six of them then, huh? <laughs> Never mind. Don't pay any attention to me. You know them better than me. But there's a world, a world of the senses that's feeding the sensual part of our being, the soul, mind, will, and emotion. So our senses are gathering up, as it were, information all the time and sending it in. The main purveyor of information is words. So we hear words, but we also know we have memories. So when something comes out of, out of the woods that we have a bad memory of, we don't sit there and look at it and say, I wonder if this is good or bad. We already know what we think about it, and we get, we're galloping. Uh, there's memories. There's desires. People have different desires. Uh, fishing is not one of mine, but I've been with some guys that they, they breathe fishing. They, they can't wait to get a hook wet. I don't care anything about it. So um, thinking, this is the point, and I'm going to quit. 
Thinking forms images. How I think forms a different image than how you think, possibly. Until we get into a corporate thinking where we all think the same. As a man thinks, so is he. Well, if we all think in faith, if we all think in healing, then we're all going to have the same outcome because as, as a person is, as a person thinks is how he is. So if I have, a, if I have an unchecked flow, I have a deluge, a barrage of this sensual information flooding my life, flooding my sensory organ, the soul, and I'm translating it, and I'm digesting it, and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm distilling it. I come up with, with computations, as it were, with thinking, and I decide how I think. I decide. I don't want, it, don't matter, it doesn't matter how many guys ask me to the lake. I don't want to go. For whatever reason, maybe I never did fish, which I did not. Maybe I had a bad experience fishing or, or whatever, and it leads me to a, a consensus that that's not what I want to do, and it forms me, just using an example. Well, if we're flooded with these sensual thoughts, sensual meaning worldly, then that's all we're thinking about is sensual thoughts. I don't like him. I want to go there. I want to eat this. I don't, I don't want to do that we begin to become crystallized in our thinking, and that's all there's room for because we're dominated by the sense realm. We're sensual creatures. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3 calls you, uh, Paul says, uh, uh, are you not mere men? Do you not think like just regular men? Well, uh, Matthew 12, 34 says this, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And then it goes on and says, a good man out of the good treasure of the heart brings forth good things. A good man, out of the abundance of the heart, whatever is dominating here is coming out. Now, you can dribble and drabble out of your head all you want. You can say things you don't believe, and we all do. But what is in abundance down here, what we feed, what we, what we protect, it's going to come out of our mouth. You want to find out where somebody is in faith? Just listen. It, and, and as soon as pressure comes into their life, They'll start telling you exactly. You'll read the meter on their faith. Oh, you're about 40%. I thought you were 90, but you, you ain't much. We find out ourselves. I thought I was more, but I'm not much. I never had this thing come against me, and I thought I'd stand up against it, but... Arr, arr, arr. <laughs> um, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. The good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. So everybody, every one of us, is saying what we see in abundance. And that, we're living in the borders of that. Now, all of us are living between two borders in our life. i got to quit. Death and life. What we're living literally is, is uh, you have to have a body to be on the earth. That's why disembodied spirits can't, they can't, angels, they can't stay on earth. Jesus, he... He can't live on earth because he doesn't have a body. We're his body. That's where he's living. So uh, listen to this. In uh, Proverbs 18, 21, it says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. So I'm living between death and life. And if I ever slip off of life by my words, I will slip out of the dimension of living and go into the dimension of death or sleeping. Now listen to this. I looked this up. I studied this out. Abraham Lincoln, guess what? Five days after the Civil War ended, 
General Lee and his huge army surrendered at Appomattox to uh, General Grant. Yeah, Grant. And it was a big deal. That was on April uh, 10th, 1865. President Lincoln died on April 15th. What's that all about? It was finally turning around. It was finally, he was 56 years old. Have y'all always seen his picture and thought, he's 156? Well, he carried that Civil War. And a whole bunch, of, I've told y'all all the stats about how he lost things. He ran for this and ran for that, ran for all this stuff until he was president. So back to my point, he was assassinated. But why was he assassinated? What allowed that in his life? Because he was a very positive individual. And he was in the, he was in the bright light of his life finally because the Civil War had been won. But he had a dream before the war was over. And in that dream, he said he saw himself getting up out of bed and heard voices and heard a clutter. And he said he went into, in his dream, he went into every room in the, in the White House until he finally came down to the, it was the West Wing or the East Wing, I don't remember now. But he went down there and there was people down there and there was a body that was on the table. And he asked the soldier, who has died in the White House? And they said, the president has been assassinated. And he took the cover off, and it was him. And then he woke up. But he was very troubled by this dream. This is just, I'm not telling you history. I'm just giving you a story of how this stuff works. And so he, when he told this dream, he was very troubled by it. You might say he feared it. And we always fear and believe, excuse me, we fear and believe what we believe. Martin Luther King, he said in a speech like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land, but I may not go there with you. Now there's a story and I could not find it that he had told his children uh, that he would probably be assassinated. Daddy is not going to make it because... They, the, all the folks don't like me. Elvis Presley, now we've talked about this many times, he said over and over, I will not outlive my mother's age. He died at the exact same age. So we'll quit with that, but it, did God allow it? Did God allow, why did God allow it? Well, God didn't allow it. He allowed the system, the kingdom. There's one thing God did is he set the rules up for the system. The system is like he likes it. He even went into the system when he said, light be. His words produced everything that was. He told Adam, name all the animals, and that's what they were named. He set up the system, but he's not allowing or disallowing anything. We're allowing it, because life and death are in the power of my tongue. And so if I, if I want to die at 56, all I have to do is put the word out, start believing I don't think I'll make it to 57. I have countless testimonies that I could have brought y'all about people that have said that very thing. And it's just uncanny. And you may not have known that about President Lincoln, but it's, uh, it fits the kingdom. You go, well, he didn't even, you know, some people don't believe in God. Some people are, are it doesn't matter. Your words set the boundaries of your life, and you will live within those boundaries. You will not become rich and famous and be happy until you become poor and famous, uh, poor and 
happy. Yes, thank you. Y'all get that? So the good news is, no matter where you start, no matter how lonely and lowly your life might be, you've got a chance to the big one. It's guaranteed you'll win if you'll change your mouth. It takes a while to do it. But since we're living and talking anyway, we might as well live life. Might as well live life. Might, might ought to just say, like I say, I'm a very wealthy pastor. Nobody likes wealthy pastors. You can go on the internet and look them up, and they are disparaging. Now, the richest pastor, the richest evangelist, the richest this and that and the other. I, they, they just throw rocks at them by that. I, I probably will never be in the sense of rich by accumulation. Y'all can, I'm, I'm not bragging about me. I'm just saying, but I'm going to have a great cash flow because I speak over my seed, and my seed obeys me. And it hits the ground. I don't need the ground, but it hits the ground, and it commands the ground. It converts the ground into what I need. The ground, I can't, you don't eat dirt. But if you'll put a corn seed in that dirt, it will draw everything out of that soil, and it'll throw a stalk up and put two big old ears on it, and you'll eat that dirt in a new form. Well, everything in your life is that way. You'll speak to the mountain. You'll speak to things, and it'll, it'll come. You're speaking to this, but it's coming that way. You're speaking in one dimension, but it's coming to you in another dimension. Anyway, we got to quit. So here, I didn't quit. Don't, don't quit me yet, Barry. I'm just telling you, you need this little card or another card. This is, there's not, this is not magic, no magic, but you need something to confess. I'm a tither and giver. I'm receiving of the Lord. And you just go through what you're receiving. Does it do any good? Not the first day, not the fourth day, not the 15th day. But sometime after that, you start thinking different. And as you think different, so are you. You start making a place of expectancy. I look at people. I don't look at them, I say, but I'm expecting every day. The man that's giving to me pressed down, good measure, pressed down and shaken together. I'm expecting it all the time. And I'm telling you, River Church is flourishing. 